the next episode of Nerd Flicks and Chill will start in three, two, one, zero. Hey everybody, this is Nick. And this is Carrie. And we are Nerd Flicks and Chill, and it's time for another Westworld recap. This is season three, episode two. The Winter Line. Uh, This episode really focused a lot on Maeve, so we got a little bit of Maeve in the post-credit scene uh, in the first episode of the season. This one is a Maeve-centric episode. We also do have a subplot uh, with Bernard and Stubbs as well, but really uh, Maeve is the driving force behind uh, this particular episode. So I think if you were kind of um, looking at the, the futuristic aspects of the kind of real-world society that we're living in. Uh, in the first episode, this kind of takes you back into something that feels like Westworld, but it's not exactly. So that's kind of the the outline of this current episode. This was the episode that I wanted the season opener to be. I loved this episode, except for one part. We'll get into that later. But ah. I loved this episode... And then it made me realize, as I was watching the episode, the reason why I don't think I cared for the first episode is that I think I realized I don't really care for Dolores anymore. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't... I don't know. I just... I think last season, once it turned into the whole Dolores Wyatt thing, like, it it didn't become as interesting to me anymore. And I was more interested in Maeve. I've loved Maeve the whole time. And and most in part to Tandy Newton, because her portrayal is just so incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and this episode was certainly no exception. It, I, I was into it right from the get-go. And it was like, this should have been the first episode. And I think I, even if they would have flipped the episodes, it still would have worked. Minus- yeah, I was just going to ask that if you thought it would have been better to have this episode mm-hmm. be the season premiere and then the last week's episode be episode two. Yes, because it would have given us that transition that I was talking about, like kind of get us to where we were before and transition us a bit more because it had been so long to get us into the futuristic matrixy stuff. Um, yeah, there was still stuff in this episode that was very matrixy, but, um, uh, it, it transitioned us with Maeve going into the real world as well. And then, and setting up and talking about Dolores and setting up this, this whole thing with these other companies that I think then it would have served better as having the first episode as a second episode. I think it would have been a smoother transition. Um, mm. but yeah, this episode, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was great. I really liked it a lot too. I mean, I, I enjoyed the first episode quite a bit as well, but I did, you know, I love, I love Maeve's character. So to me, she drives the whole thing. What I think is most interesting about this is I'm starting to see this show put a lot of attention to detail. And, um, the other thing that I think is fascinating about this season is in the first two seasons, they kind of established these big mysteries, right? The, well, who is this person? And these were like season long, mysteries that needed to be revealed and i've noticed that the reveals within these first two episodes are relatively small reveals which i don't mind i don't necessarily need the big season-long mystery like in the the first episode it gets revealed that um 
you know, Caleb's character is talking to the fake AI, you know, version of his friend. And it's, that's a relatively small reveal. And in this one, we learn that Maeve isn't in Westworld at all. She's in this kind of weird simulation, which she refers to as kind of like, but essentially kind of a cheap knockoff, like a lazy copy. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it through that lens, it really is that. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I, I, I liked it. It was purely done as a setup to try and get information out of her. And I think as well, it was set up for her to be able to break out. I think it was, it was set up by that, I, I, Ciroc or whatever the guy's name is. Um, yeah. He knows that she's, how he knows, I have no fucking idea. There's so many plot holes with this that I don't understand. Maybe they'll explain it later. Maybe not. Maybe we just have to suspend a lot of disbelief. I don't know, like, where he came from, why he would know all of this about her and Dolores, and why would he know that Maeve, you know, had this whole thing with her daughter and was trying to find her and, you know, going through the gap in the forge and all of that maybe it's because he can read into her programming i don't know why would he know to do that i don't know i you just have to go with it i guess but um i think the whole thing where she was it was almost like a holding pen to ease maybe to ease her into the real world to see if he can get some information out of her and i think he obviously was planning on her somehow getting out because they had another host body waiting for her yeah, to be planted in there. So I think that was all part of the plan and it was all part to kind of ease her into it like we should have been. But anyway, um, yeah, there's a lot of plot hole stuff in here that I just kind of have to let go. Just kind of roll with it and don't linger on it too much. But yeah, this this episode did leave me with a lot of questions at the beginning. Yeah, what what's also interesting about this is it kind of is a callback in a lot of ways to Maeve in season one, where she's kind of going through those back hallways and seeing all these different things. And even the pile of bodies that she sees Hector's body on back in season one, it was the same thing with Teddy mm-hmm. where we see his body on a big pile of bodies. There's yeah. a, a lot of uh, callbacks to the earlier seasons. And it's kind of really identifying where this character was versus where this character is going. One of the other really amazing details that I, I loved about this, and it's, it's mentioned in the after the episode bit, is that when she eventually does kind of stop this simulation, you know, we see the bullets kind of freezing as they're coming out of the gun, blood splatter freezing. Uh, we're seeing, you know, kind of like the way in The Force Awakens, Kylo Ren freezes the blaster bolt. We're or seeing like this Neo. kind of full-on simulation freeze happening. Yeah, and Neo does when he discovers his powers within the Matrix. When he when he really understands that none of it's real, the same thing happened with Maeve. Another Matrix throwback. Right. Yeah. But historically in this show, when we've seen Maeve freeze people or Ford freeze people, you can still see the wind affecting their hair and those right. kind of things. So you can still tell that they were affected by the kind of natural world around them, whereas there is no natural world around these characters that she's encountering. Right, because this was a 100% simulation. Um, right. And the other thing that was really interesting that I did not get until the after the episode thing was that the aspect ratio changes. Yeah. That as soon as Maeve realizes when she's 
um, chatting with Sizemore and he starts to glitch, the aspect ratio changes. And the other time that we've seen that on this show was when we were also in a simulation. So that was something really subtle. And that's the kind of subtlety that I really enjoy. Stuff like that. Unlike other things that were in this episode that were not subtle at all. I was blown away by the fact that it wasn't a full CGI bit later in the episode where she stops everybody and freezes the simulation. Yeah, how that they good was actually, that? Yeah, they were actually positioning people mm-hmm. and were getting still shots and they had all these little poles holding people up and stuff like that and they just edited out the poles. But a lot of that visual stuff with the soldiers is real and I think that's amazing. Yeah, I know. They have abs of steel. Good Lord, to hold some of those positions, whether you're on a pole or not, is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The physical, yeah. The the physical ability that they had to hold that is incredible. But I also think that as an audience, when it comes to War World that, that Maeve is in, as the audience, we know enough to be suspicious. Right, because we know that Westworld just had a whole bloody massacre yeah. that took place yep. at their park. Uh, people are selling shares. We know that the company is kind of struggling at the moment. So it doesn't make any sense that they would have a park open. No, it doesn't make any sense that they'd have a park open. It doesn't make any sense that they would be running things as normal, having the regular um, maintenance and care and repositioning and restarting of any loops and storylines. Why? There's no guests in the park. Why is this happening? Is it running automatically? It's like, it doesn't make any sense. So yeah, right off the bat, you're like, wait, something is not right here. And that's one of the things that I really did like about this too, is that those little clues, those little reveals unraveled themselves little bit by bit. And they were subtle, you know, and I, I loved that. I loved that it wasn't too in your face. Yeah, I agree. Um, a couple of other callbacks that we see in this particular episode. We know that Bernard is going back to Westworld. You know, we don't know why at this point, unless you watched the, the trailer from the previous week, which I don't know why they give so much away in those trailers, but, um, he's essentially going back to find Maeve to get her help in, um, stopping Dolores from whatever her ultimate plan is, which, you know, could be killing humanity or enslaving humanity. Uh, we're not sure, but, you know, we do get him kind of walking through the old, uh, cemetery and, you know, we see some of the old season one Westworld locations in there. We do. And just a little, uh, side note that I think is really interesting. And they didn't, I don't believe they mentioned this in the after show portion, but when we see Bernard, uh, at the church steeple, that um, was so prominent in seasons one and two, you see that it's burned and, you know, you're led to believe and it fits perfectly that it would have been burned and destroyed because of what happened in season two. But that's not in, in the real world, our real world. That's not why it was burned. It was actually damaged as part of the massive wildfires in California. Wow. And so the burning that you see on there was not intentional, but it worked perfectly. Um, we do also, with Bernard, get another little reveal, too, and that is that Stubbs was, in fact, a host after all. 
Yeah, we uh, there was just a little blurb, something that he had said uh, at the end of season two that had uh, everybody's tongues a wagon wondering, okay, is he a host as well? Because he lets Dolores slash um, Valkyrie <laughs> go um, onto the boat. And I forget what it was that he exactly said to her, but it was enough where it was like, wait a minute, why would he let her go unless he's a host as well? And I loved the reveal with this, seeing him sit there and seeing him kind of glitching out. Um, and they said that that was all Helmsworth. That was all his acting. They didn't do any kind of weird... Um. CGI, um, anything with his motion. That was all him. And I thought it was great and really well done. Yeah, I thought so too. He did a really great job. He did a really great job. He is not a lesser Hemsworth. No, not at all. I mean, yeah, they're all, that's a talented family. They're all pretty good. I know, it's sickening. But, um, it is an interesting pair up too. I like the idea of Bernard and Stubbs together. I think that's a, a pretty good combination to see, you know, as they kind of go through and they're trying to look for Maeve. I mean, essentially, their plot in this episode is really small. He goes to Westworld. He finds Stubbs. Together, they go to find Maeve. They find that somebody's taken the pearl out of the back of her head. Uh, and then they try to go get some more information. You know, so there's not a whole lot there. And they end up leaving Westworld after they get what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, some of the more interesting things are when... Bernard kind of uploads and we see some of those memories that he has. Mm, right. They're just quick and, little flashes. Yeah. One of the more interesting ones I thought is that um, we see some of Bernard's memories, um, but we also see that it appears as though she gave him some of Arnold's memories as well, because some right. of that stuff is not Bernard. Right. And it makes me wonder how or why or how is any of that going to come into play? What was the purpose of that? Um, because right. we do have to remember that Dolores was the one who reconstructed Bernard um, again. And she said, you know, I've done it once. I've remembered you once. I'm remembering you again. I have to bring you back, but not as a friend. And that key line makes me wonder, do you have any theories? Because I have a theory, but do you have any theories as to why or what her purpose is for bringing him back? Yeah, I'm not sure. I I don't know. Um, you know, I, I don't know if this, uh, what's your theory? I'd like to hear yours first. I think she's bringing him back as a patsy. I think she brought him back to be a diversion because when he is, um, on that meat farm, I don't know if it was in the Philippines or wherever it was that he was, um, when he was on that meat farm, there was like, he, he was all over the news saying that they were looking for him because he was the person that took down Westworld, everything. And I think that was Dolores is, has everybody's attention on him, making him be a wanted man, making everybody go after him so she can be over on the side doing all this other stuff. So everybody's going to be focused on him. That's what I Maybe thought. Maybe so. That's what I thought, that he was there 
as a patsy. He's there um, to be a distraction so she can be over here doing all this other stuff. But we also we also don't know what Dolores's motives are. No, we don't. Mm-mm. We only get what her intentions may be through Bernard and a little bit through Maeve, too, where Maeve talks about her kind of wanting to have a revolution. But we don't really know what they are. Mm. All we have really are Bernard's assumption more than anything else. So. Right. You know, we don't really know. Maybe that's the big mystery right now. Maybe, you know, there is another shoe to drop for Bernard's character. And, you know, we'll see how that all plays out. But it does seem interesting that she would bring him back. We still don't know who all the pearls are. I do have a theory on one of them that I think is interesting. Um, but now we know that it was not, Maeve was not one of the pearls she took out. I feel like we knew that at the end of season two, but, you know, we still don't know who those five yeah. pearls are yeah no idea um it does seem though if you watch the preview for next week i do believe we'll find out who at least one of them are yeah 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 uh another thing that i wanted to talk about is the music in this episode ramin Javadi just crushes it Always. with the music here so good and one of my favorite choices is mave has that kind of synth theme that they gave her in season two mm-hmm and I love the way that kind of follows her. I love some of the different musical changes that happen throughout this episode, uh, particularly when there are things that repeat and musical themes change when you're even though you're seeing something that's very similar. I thought that was really, really well done. Yeah, he's he is arguably one of the best composers out there right now, I think. Um, I think him and uh, probably Giacchino are my favorite composers right now, whether it be for television or uh movies yeah yeah yeah, i agree incredible um you you know and of course uh there is that very famous cameo that we see in the (sighs) episode that i know you are not a fan of this cameo but there was a a game of thrones reference i'm actually gonna say it's a double cameo okay um because you know as we are getting kind of a look through what is essentially the fake mesa i guess where you know all those different um hosts are behind glass just like we've been accustomed to seeing one of them of course is uh benioff and weiss the showrunners from game of thrones and good old drogon hanging out in there as well uh but that's obviously the game of thrones cameo but i'm gonna argue that there is a second little easter egg reference in there i agree talks about getting that thing to costa rica yes which of course is the location of jurassic park yes which of course was written by michael crichton who also wrote rest world's as well yes that is the part of this that i love to me that is an easter egg to me that is subtle it's classy and very well done the game of thrones stuff pissed me off (laughs) i hated it because it was like here's benioff and weiss they each got a one shot and the camera lingered it's like the camera goes by and it's like look do you know who that is do you see who that is oh wait pan oh wait look do you know who that is see who that is that's the other showrunner from game of thrones <laughs> it was so not subtle it was so in your face that it just pissed me off and then when it pulls back and you see drogon it was like i wanted to throw something i was like really that is not subtle at all. And I hate that people are calling it an Easter egg. That's not an Easter egg. That's like an Easter sledgehammer. 
Yeah, I guess it is more of a cameo. Yeah, it's not an Easter egg, people. An Easter egg is called an Easter egg because it's something that's hidden, like a fucking Easter egg. I hate it. <laughs> I don't know why I'm getting so like on this soapbox about it. I'm Maybe it's because in the world I'm so frustrated and I'm channeling all of my frustrations into this one thing. I think that's what's uh, happening. Um, but okay. yeah, it just... it. I I don't have a problem with there being some kind of a crossover. I don't have a problem with the Double Ds having a cameo at all. I don't even mind that Drogon's on there. I just wish it would have been done with better care. Mm. I wish it wasn't so obvious. I wish the camera didn't linger on each one of them, giving them their own single one shot. To be like, look, there they are. There they are. Oh, wait, there's the other one. It was just like, come on, people. I wish it would have been like when they're walking into that area and we see that it's medieval stuff or medieval-esque type stuff, which first of all is a great nod because there was a whole huge part of the original Westworld movie took place in this medieval world. And so at first I kind of liked it. I wish you would have seen the double D's like kind of in the background or just passing by. I wish they didn't get their own single one shot that the camera lingered on where it was. You might as well have had an arrow and a neon sign pointing at them, too. I mean, you might as well go all out. But I wish it would have been more subtle. I love the conversation that happened. I love the fact that they, it was a subtle Easter egg to Jurassic Park. That was fucking brilliant. I wish when I even think it would have been great when... um when Bernard was in there doing his little di- diagnostics things and we see all these sketches in the background and we see like costumes, I would have been totally cool if those were like, there's a sketch of Winterfell, there's Daenerys's dress. Like I would not have had a problem with that. I think that would have been great. I also even think it kind of would have been cool if you saw like in the background, you know, there was at one point that we did see like where it looked like it was some kind of highborn, like maybe king and queen or lord and lady, and they're being serenaded by some guy with a lute. Um, if it was kind of in the background and they were people that kind of looked like characters from Game of Thrones, or you saw like a shield that was from, you know, something that we would recognize that way, I think that would have been better and more of like something subtle instead of what they did. Because it was like it was like hitting you over the head with a sledgehammer, and to me that just was not what I think would have been funny. Would have been been if they would have also had not just Benioff and Weiss, but also had George R. R. Martin in there doing a cameo. (laughs) You might as well. When he's talking about when he's talking about sending it to Costa Rica, just have George Martin's character say, "It's not done yet. Well, when will it be done? I don't know." There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still I writing the I, That would have become a scene. I would have written it as actual, an actual scene in the in the show. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you're going to do it, then fucking go all out with it and make it really, really, really obvious. I mean, obviously, it, obviously, I'm saying that. How many times can I say that in one sentence? But it's like, you know, either go all out or make it really subtle. And I so, prefer the really subtle. But anyway. Uh, one thing that I wanted to talk about that I noticed in this episode is um, in the first episode, they have Rehoboam, which is apparently this kind of planning AI that seems to be responsible for a lot of people's choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of a strategic planning kind of artificial intelligence, right? Yes. 
Now, have you noticed that in one of the trailers for Westworld, along with in the first two episodes, we're seeing these black circles that have these little moments that keep popping up with little coordinates attached to them? Yeah, it reminds me of the language from Arrival. Remember, it was yeah, the black circles and little things? That's what I think of every time I see it. Yeah, it, well, it also kind of reminds me of that time is a flat circle line from True Detective, but... um one of the things that you're seeing here is it seems like this is predictive action from the Rehoboam system, right? Like mm. this is stuff that's taking place kind of uh, around that AI. So I'd like to dig into that a little bit more at some point in the future because that AI seems to have uh, pinpointed moments in uh, pivotal moments in world history. But what we have seen in this episode is there is what's noted in that little circle as a divergence. Yeah. And that divergence, that scene involves Bernard. Mm. So I'm wondering, because we get this this encounter between Ciroc and Maeve at the end of the episode, and I, I always think about the vodka when I hear that name, but <laughs> right. um, where he talks about how they thought Maeve was the one who they hadn't accounted for, that she was kind of this divergence in the system, uh, but it was actually Dolores. Are they indicating that it may not be Dolores either, that it may actually be Bernard? Hmm. Interesting. There's a That's... weird thing happening there with those yeah. white circles yeah. that are apparently divergence in what is apparently the plan. Yeah. Interesting. I think... That will definitely be something to keep an eye on as these episodes go, because you're right. I do remember seeing it saying divergence and then it being a scene with um, with Bernard. Yeah, that mm -hmm. I'll definitely keep an eye on that for the next episode. You know, and the other thing about that, too, is Bernard mentions in this episode that he doesn't know if Dolores wants to save the human race or destroy it. That being said... I'm sorry, enslave the human race. I think I said save. If she wants to enslave the human race or destroy it. That being said, if you do kind of a, a scan of the real world that is presented to us in episode one, the implication seems as though the human race may already be enslaved. Yeah. If they are kind of inadvertently or subconsciously uh, following some sort of predictive algorithm. You know, I don't know if they're going to get into this idea that, you know, maybe we're all hosts after all to this greater AI system, whether it's in the real world or in Westworld. Maybe that's where they're going with this thing. But I think there is a lot more to this story because the other thing that this episode lays out is Dolores versus Maeve. And then Bernard kind of factors in on the Maeve side. This Ciroc guy who's obviously the villain because he's eating an apple. And that's always things that villains, the thing that's like the villain thing. This, we've talked about that before. We've mentioned yeah. that on this show before. Yeah. Yeah. Always villains eat apples. That's just the way it's just always been the thing. Villains and apples. So he eats an apple. He's clearly the, clearly the villain. Uh, we're, we're not sure how he's going to persuade Maeve to kind of take up his cause. Um, but I think that, that this show seems to have indicated in these first two episodes that these are kind of the battle lines, right? Like this is the main conflict, Dolores and Maeve. You know, who are these two people and what is their conflict going to be? I actually find that this is probably going to become a much more complicated narrative than that. 
Well, and that would not be out of character for Westworld to do something complicated. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, going to the good versus evil thing, um, which has always been a theme throughout Westworld. I mean, we saw in season one and in season two that there's, you know, a lot of guests or not even a lot with the guests when they go into Westworld, they had to choose. Do you want a white hat or a black hat? And it was always people in white, people in black, good versus bad. Well, really interesting to see in episode one, Dolores was primarily all in black. Yeah. And Maeve, when she enters the real world, she's in white. And so is Ciroc. And Mm -hmm. before this, before she got out of Westworld, there was the part where um, her and Sizemore go on horses to go back to the Westworld portion of Westworld. Um, and they're on horses and Maeve is on a white horse. And that was the first thing that I was like, she's coming to save the day. She's the knight arriving on a white horse. Mm -hmm. And then in the real world, she's in white. So it's interesting. I, I see her as being that, but then Ciroc was wearing white, but then he's eating, he's doing the evil guy apple thing. So maybe his white suit is a facade. I don't you know, know. It's interesting because I, there, there are things that are happening with the colors and yes. the color palette being presented mm-hmm. in this season. Yep. I haven't quite put my finger on what those things are yet because yes, there is the black and white delineation. But there's also red. Uh, yeah. Red is a very prevalent color. It's worn by Dolores in the first episode. It's worn by Maeve in the second episode. True. Uh, there is a time period where they're both wearing red dresses. Mm-hmm. That's true. And not only that, one of the things that really changed in the opening credits is instead of the kind of host body emerging from uh, or sinking into that white liquid, the liquid has now changed colors to red also. Oh, that's true. That's right. Mm. So I don't know if it's somehow, uh, obviously red, you know, it symbolizes sometimes blood and life and sometimes love. And, you know, I don't know kind of what they're going for here, but they are so much attention to detail that I think the color palettes are going to be interesting to see if they evolve at all. Because one of the other moves that I think is interesting is that Dolores is wearing black in one of the scenes, and then all of a sudden she does that really fantastic uh, (gasps) drop-down move with the dress, and then it turns into a different color. It's gold, I think. Yeah. So what does that say? That is a dramatic color palette change, right? So will the colors change throughout the season? Well, I think at that point when she changes, she is pretending not to be Dolores. She's pretending to be somebody else. Mm -hmm. As she's walking up to the party, she's Dolores. As she walks into the party, she changes the dress. And now she's pretending to be whatever her alias was. So Mm. maybe it was that. I think that's something, I think those are two things that you've brought up that are going to be really interesting that we should pay attention to, um, as we move forward are those little circle things as to really what they say and who they're saying it about and and paying attention to the divergence part and seeing if it sticks with arnold um or bernarnold um and then also he's just bernard he's just bernard now (laughs) yes right he's not bernarnold anymore um but seeing um colors and and really paying attention to um symbolism there because they've they've already really established that. So, yes, let's let's keep an eye on that 
for here on out. Yeah. One thing that we did not talk about um, is Sizemore. Right. And I am so glad that they did not bring him back. I, mean, I am too. It's, they gave the actor a shot to come back, play the character for a little bit longer, but uh, very glad that they did not bring him back. No, because it would have it would have um, it would have diminished his sacrifice. It would have diminished everything that he did. It would have just completely downplayed everything that he did. In fact, when we saw on screen what we thought was Sizemore, I was just like, really? Like, no, it just it, it, it ruined all of that. But then when you find out that it really wasn't him, I was like, oh, OK, I'm fine with that. I was yeah. really disappointed at first. So I think this does set up a lot of interesting things. I think that, um, you know, we we also here's the other thing that I thought was interesting. When Maeve wakes up and, of course, we get another wake up shot, which I feel like we've had a thousand of throughout this <laughs> yes. series. Just people and waking we'll up in a more. bed. Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, there's the one with Aaron Paul in the first episode. And yeah. then, of course, uh, Maeve gets hers in this one. But, you know, there's nothing to actually say that Maeve may be in the real world. Hmm. Because this Ciroc guy, uh, played by Vincent Cassell, is apparently he's the only person who can still do anything with this Rehoboam system. And that allows him to kind of basically strategically plan everything. The one thing he can't predict, apparently, is Dolores. So... How does he have control over Maeve where he's able to freeze her the way that he does? No idea. He's got a little is clicky that, thing. Is that like a simulation thing? Is that something else? You would think that Maeve has the wherewithal to know. But right. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, who knows what he... Because he constructed that host body. So who knows yeah. what kind of um fail safe fail safes he built into it. No that's idea. That's true. I mean, she could be frozen but then her mind is still working. It's just the body that stopped. And he's got his little remote control clicker. So who knows. I'm sure she mm. will figure out a way to circumvent that or something somehow but um yeah there's like i said there's a lot of plot holes it leaves me with a lot of questions however with this episode i'm like okay i'm on board again i am all in with this one it's they've got me back now hmm yeah i agree i'm excited to see where it goes i think we're going to get a lot more from bernard as well uh, I, I just so. don't know what the central conflict i think we're being set up with a with a central conflict that appears to be dolores and mave but i don't think that's going to be the case i think the Sirak guy who has a weird first name and i can't remember it um but i'm sure there's some sort of like uh, there has to be some sort of like religious thing around it it just seems it just seems like such a weird name that like i'm sure it translates to something um you know, because I feel like we're getting into some a lot of like religious allegory again with this show. So uh, we'll see how it all plays out. But I am really excited about it. I'm excited about next week's episode. I do have a theory about the pearl that is in Charlotte Hale. The name Ciroc is a uh, is a portmanteau of the French word cr- um, 
I almost said crime. I my mind put an R in there. Um, meaning peak or summit top. Hmm. Meaning rock, a reference to the high altitude vineyards of the region where the grapes are grown for that um, alcohol. Interesting. I I don't know what his first name is though. Yeah, I don't I'll have know to look either. that up. I could look it up right now. I just I just don't want to. Yeah, that's 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 all I got. It means top or peak. Maybe our listeners could look up what his first name is and then uh, let us know. But I do have a theory about the pearl that is in Charlotte Hale's head or the host version of Hale. Oh, okay. And I think we're going to get it revealed to us next week. But my theory is that the pearl itself will be Teddy. I don't. I have a different theory on who I think it is because, really? yeah, with the, um, with the preview for next week, there's a little blurb that Dolores says and I, and she's talking to, and I believe if I remember correctly, I believe she was talking to the Charlotte Hale person and she says something about you're somebody that I can trust or because I trust you or she says something about trust and I thought, what if that was the pearl of the person that was her father? Oh, interesting. That's who I thought it was. Interesting. Because I think out of everybody, because she fought so hard to try and save him. And that was, you know, still whether or not, you know, she realizes that it's true. He is always her father figure and her dad and somebody that she can always trust. So I think it's Abernathy. And I think the security guard, I think that's Teddy. Hmm. The the security guard that's from um, Braveheart. <laughs> I think that's Teddy. That's all I could think of. I'm like, oh, he's from Braveheart. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, don't I think know. that I one's think Teddy. That's possible. I think Charlotte Hale is Abernathy. I like it. I like that theory. Ah, thank you. We'll see. All right. So, anything else on the winter line? No, do you think that title is a nod to Game of Thrones 2? I don't. I actually think it's uh it has something to do with World War II. Mm, okay. <laughs> Cuz that was just I don't know. I don't know why. That just pissed me off so much. I just I don't know. I just I I I just wish it was a little bit more subtle. Um yeah, it didn't need to be so on the nose. Although it's really funny. I've seen some really, really funny comments of people saying, oh, okay, so that explains season eight of Game of Thrones. So season thro- oh, season God. eight of Game of Thrones was, was just, it was, it was a, a world within a world. It was, it was, a, it was a fake reality. That's why it was so mm-hmm. bad. That kind of made me chuckle. But, um, no, I'm, I now feel like I am all on board. I feel like I now am back into Westworld. Um, the first episode threw me off and confused me. And I just, I felt so disconnected from it, but they, they reeled me back in. Awesome. All right. So you guys have heard our thoughts on Westworld Season 3, Episode 2, The Winter Line. But we'd like to hear yours as well. So hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at NerdflixChill. You can also check us out on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you're listening on one of those platforms, throw us a five-star review. You can also check out all of our new stuff at lrmonline.com. And while you're there, check out the network of podcasts. There is so much time right now that people are spending at home and... uh, we're happy to provide some entertainment during this time, so pop one of our old shows in and, and give it a listen. 
All right. Thank you guys for joining us. We'll be back again with another Westworld recap next week. Until next time, may the force be with you because the night is dark and full of terrors. <laughs>